Hey, my name is Anika Chabra, and you're listening to Root and Seed, a podcast about tradition seekers who are sparked to explore, define, and celebrate their family and cultural identity. While we're sad to close out this season, we are super excited for you to hear from today's season finale guest, Grace, who is a producer, screenwriter, and researcher. Originally from Toronto, Grace moved to Berlin when she married a German man during the pandemic. Grace's understanding of food from both her familial and chosen cultures runs thematically through our whole conversation. As a producer for food vlogs, including My Name is Enlong and Made with Lao, it's no surprise that that is the case. This conversation was a super fun one to record. You'll notice just how much fun we had when we connect over a story, over food terminology early in the episode. So we decided not to overcraft it. Instead, we are delighted to provide you with a little glimpse into the banter that ensues when Grace and I just chatted. Also, please note Grace was in her familial home when we were doing her interview, and you'll hear her father making his lunch, a traditional Vietnamese dish in the background, and we decided to just go with it. This is a podcast about multiple generations, family and food and culture after all. Like all of our interviews, we started with a foundational question of what cultural influences make up Grace's identity. Hope you enjoy. The influences in my familial cultural background is Vietnamese. Obviously, it's distilled through my parents. And when they left, that type of culture is back in the 80s. So Vietnamese culture is from the 80s specifically. And then here in Canada, I live in Scarborough. So it's primarily West Indies, lots of Jamaican and Pakistani and Indian influences. So actually I grew up a lot on like curries, goat curries, or people say curry goat, you know, like there's that battle of terminologies and samosas and, a lot of Japanese and Korean foods. Um, Toronto is so diverse. So my understanding of what cultural heritage I have also comes from this diversity as well, which is a huge blessing and something that I definitely carry through today when I'm now living in Berlin. I love that. You would get along very well with my uh, husband. He's from Scarborough. Ooh, yes. <laughs> East side went up. <laughs> I love it. Oh no, no, he would he would be all over you right now, and he would have the debate around curry goat or goat curry for sure. Ooh, I'm like, fam, let me tell you, like my West Indy family would be like, you cannot be saying like curry goat. Like, sure, you can curry the goat, but also it's goat curry, and I'm just like, I can't have the accent. But if you could hear the aunties just like having that debate in the kitchen, and they'll be like throwing out rotis, like nobody's business, and like Thanksgiving is always so full with like, like Asian inspired West Indian foods, and it's just like a huge mismatch of cultures that. When I come to the dinner table, I try to emulate that for my guests as well when I'm in Berlin. We can talk a little bit about that independent study course where you, t- you explored Asian Canadian theater. It sounded like that was a bit of a defining moment in your life. I was in an independent course with Barry Freeman, who is um, kind of like an not a superstar, I would say, but he's very well known for his academic work around the other in theater. So he has many books out with t- talking about the basement theater in churches and how the movements of theater really helped facilitate the discussion of otherness, but also creating otherness. So in our courses for my mat, uh, for majoring, I did it 
in theater, but I also did a specialist in arts management. So it helped create an environment that allowed me to explore what does it mean to create theater around my culture or my familial culture. This was the first time where I took the chance to take learning about my own culture outside of like the familial aspects of like food, language, um, clothing to something that was on a Canadian stage, literally Canadian works. Because movies have always been something that we're exposed to and uh, theater was something that was considered uh, a privilege to see. You spend a lot of money on tickets, you take the time to go out, you have like you might as well have a dinner. So it's like dinner and a show type of vibe. And so it was quite inaccessible to me because I didn't have that growing up. Theater going was not a thing. It was a luxury that we couldn't afford. And the fact that I got to study it was really great. And then I got to see stories that was part of my experience, not necessarily because this is about like two generations ahead of me. So um, the the main resources was like Nina Lee Aquino, who's like a really amazing artistic director for Theater Factory right now. But she was doing her master's and she said, there's no Asian stories out there. So she created this anthology. I read it. I, my mind was like blown because I was like, where is this in anywhere else? And so my first contact with Asian content other than Chinese soap operas, um, Korean dramas, was this. And I was like, this is English context of Asian stuff. So I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and I got so excited and I did a master's afterwards. So, <laughs> so you got like super inspired and then you actually did it for study. I love that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to Alex Choi was one of our um, previous guests mm -hmm. and he talked about seeing Kim's Convenience. Yes. And when he saw that on stage that was a moment for him where he's like oh my god they know my life yeah like I got a lot of Korean friends to see the show and they were like is, does someone like stalk me because this is my life and I was like I mean like that experience and that discussion is so precious I think there's something about it like even seeing it on tv sorry I'm getting teary now because it's like um I don't know what it was like before, I don't remember because I just, for like films, I would always want to be Ariel or like someone who didn't look like me, but I love the free spiritedness of it. But to have something completely click, like it's not life changing, so to say, but it's a core memory moment where you're like, this has been me the whole entire time. I feel acknowledged, I feel validated. And I think that's also really important in Canadian culture too, now that we're trying to reclaim and reconcile with the Indigenous communities, that I want this moment that I'm feeling for them as well. You're such an introspective person. You take very little for face value and you kind of dig deeper and you have like this really great sense of curiosity that I, I really admire. So let's talk about celebration and food or anything that comes to your mind. This season, our podcast is all about celebration. And celebration can be grand, but it also could be like every day, right? It could mm -hmm. be those little moments, those little things that you do every day and every week to really honor your culture. Talk to me about how you have celebrated your background in a meaningful way. 
So actually, going back to the first question of growing up with this culture or the familial cultures and um, like the Canadian cultures that I am now taking on, um, I wanted to take that into my wedding ceremony. So I got married during the pandemic and like all pandemic weddings, it was hella tiny, super small. And you're like, okay, how does Zoom work in a way that other people can join? And um, I think it's really funny because if you get a chance to look at my parents' wedding photos, they had a Western wedding, you know, white dress in a tuxedo. And if you look at mine, I had um, traditional ao yai, which is the Vietnamese clothing. It was in gold. Um, it's not like princessy in the way that most people think, but it was chic enough to know it was a special moment. I wore red booties because red is a lucky color. And my husband and I got our hairs to match because he also has long hair. So we put in lots of natural items like grass that was dried. So it looked like it was gold in our hair. So we had a pretty modest wedding um, because I just graduated, finished my um, master's and uh, my husband at the time was still in school. So we wanted to do a couple of things. I wanted to honor his culture because it's just as valid as mine. And we did something called a Portaabend, which essentially is um, creating the first conflict <laughs> um, in marriage. I, I don't know how to describe it because <laughs> you invite people over for food, obviously, and have music and whatnot. But the defining moment of Portaabend is uh, taking porcelain whatever it is, it could be a toilet bowl, it could be a plate, it could be a cup, and you smash it in their home, the, the wedding couple's home. And every time it happens, they have to clean it up in whatever way they can. So all night before our wedding, we were cleaning up like shards of porcelain. <laughs> and I was telling everyone, we're not going to clean like 100%. So please wear your shoes on our home. Um, like, <laughs> just just keep it to this section. And um, we told our neighbors because it's obviously very loud. And uh, we were singing a lot of traditional German hiking songs and eating Vietnamese foods because catering was expensive. So I ended up going to like a Vietnamese auntie that I befriended when I first moved to Berlin. I was like, auntie, um, I'm getting married. Can you help me with food? And she's like, I got you. Like, let me tell you right now. <laughs> like, what do you want? What do you want? I'm going I'm to get it for you right now. And I was like. <laughs> I was How like, did you meet this person? I have no, I have the audacity to be shameful. So, like, I go up to, like, florists, uh, grocers who are obviously Vietnamese because Berlin has a huge northern Vietnamese culture, uh, a community, sorry. And so I befriended a lot of aunties and just like got to know their story, got to know that about their shops. I visit them regularly. For New Year's, I bring them oranges to wish them like a happy new year. They don't give me lysi, which is like the red pocket money. But um, I try to like give my business to them as much as I can, you know, try to build a community around me because I I don't have the multicultural communities that I have in Toronto back in Berlin. And in Berlin, 
it, it's also not 100% the cultures I know because Northern Vietnamese culture and food is vastly different than the Southern culture I have. So my only way to keep in contact with my language and the some sort of version of my food is through these aunties. And um, so I make an effort to show up, speak to them in my Southern accent, <laughs> try to understand the Northern accent. And then the, they gave me food that tastes similar to the Southern style of the food. But then I go home and I try to change it a little bit. Um, and I started learning how to cook my own food. So yeah. Do you yeah. feel like your culture, your relationship with your culture strengthened when you went to Berlin? The the grip that I wanted to have on my culture was a lot stronger um, because here I have the luxury of my parents being the ones that bestow that culture to me. But as I grew older and I was starting to learn about parenting, like I don't have children yet, but I'm obviously like thinking about the future and how would my children learn the culture that I know. And it's normally inherited by the primary caregiver. So if I am the primary caregiver, it means that I need to know the language, I need to know the food, and I'm not confident in that at all. So I'm trying to find every single opportunity to practice my familial culture, but also I have a responsibility to pass on the German culture that I understand to my children. Not only does my husband have to do it, but at some point we're going to have to either choose to live in Toronto or Berlin. And I'm planning for both cases where I don't have access to the cultures that I am more confident in. I can speak Vietnamese at an intermediate level. I can't speak about politics, but uh, I am much more confident in my cooking skills. So if they can't eat fish sauce, I am a failure of a mother. Like, like that's the thing that I want to take into consideration that um, I want to expose my children to as many cultures as possible because that's a Canadian element that I hold dearly. It helps them to be more world uh, focused in a sense and to be more empathetic to the people that don't look like them. Um, I want, like, again, having that cultural connection or having that sense of validation, like either through TV or film or theater, I also want that to be done at the dinner table so that people who come through my front door and sit at my kitchen can say, this almost tastes like home. I, I, there's a lot to say, but I really strive to create a place where my kitchen table would feel like home or the content I make on YouTube makes other folks get excited about their own cultures again and um, to really inspire folks to relearn their mother tongue or um, like have that memory of their grandmother because uh, if you know made with Lao like yeah yeah like daddy Lao is teaching Randy how to cook certain things and also you can see it where his son uh, Cam gets to eat the food and to like be exposed to that teaching. It's a really great platform for people who didn't have that opportunity to speak to their grandparents and ask questions of why do you do that with your shrimp? How do I make the eggs kind of curdle in a larger 
cur- like curds and not like the American small scrambled eggs. Because not everyone has a luxury of a grandparent. Not everyone has a luxury of having parents that have the ability to translate or um, have you learn the culture. Um, and the disconnect is very alienating and sometimes devastating. Um, there are times in my life where I felt like I was going to, um, that I was a failure of a person of color. Because as a Vietnamese person, I look Vietnamese, but I'm so quote unquote white. As in, I I only make scrambled eggs and toast. <laughs> and, and like, I love bacon. But I can love all those things, but also like, you know, know that fish sauce is called McMum or like, add different ingredients like scotch bonnet to my curries, you know? (laughs) That's awesome. So is that how you celebrate your culture every day through food? Yes. I mean, it's like, I have to eat. (laughs) Um, But food is not only like a political thing, the history behind it is quite cultural. Um, If I'm curious about something that I'm a culture that I had had contact with, but not necessarily had the opportunity to learn. YouTube or like video platforms that have these recipes are a really great point of contact to like see aunties cook, see how they do it, but also be exposed to the language they use around the food. I follow this Swahili auntie um, on YouTube because I'm really curious about uh, different regional cuisines. For example, a lot of Kenyan food is out there. I don't know, I didn't know this, but there was also kind of like a hierarchy in foods, like only certain levels of status folks would get a certain type of dish. So to eat in that type of diverse context also allows me to appreciate the food that's in front of my table. What a wonderful conversation and a gift to our community. In true Root and Seed style, we ended our conversation with a question prompt from our conversation tool. We just had to ask a question that is central to celebration. So we asked her, what is your favorite holiday to celebrate with your family and why? I'm learning the German culture and the weight behind their holidays. Like it's very Christian focused. Like we do not work on Sundays grocery stores are closed, like everything is closed. So if you need to go grocery shopping, you do it on a Saturday or like God help you for until Monday. Easter is so much bigger than what I expected. Not only that, but like Christmas is a three day event. I did not realize that. And so my first, my first Christmas was a doozy because I said I would volunteer to cook for Christmas. And I didn't realize I was cooking for three days (laughs) And, and three meals. A day. Where were the aunties for that? I I was with the German folks, man. I mean, like, they just make a huge braten and it's like they make a huge quantity and you just eat that throughout the day. But like Christmas was such a huge deal and Easter is such a huge deal that I have to schedule my life around these two holidays in Germany. It's so confusing because in Canada, Easter is just like a holiday. You get like Good Friday or Monday off. And so you have like an extended weekend, which is, that's it. That's the extent of us because we're quite a bit secular. But for some reason, I'm like, 
I made that mistake and now I can't get out because that's what they expect every Christmas and every Easter. And I'm just like, somebody help me. I need you, children to learn how to cook so I don't cook. <laughs> you've you've become the auntie. I I no, I'm too young for this. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not auntie status. I'm still like child trying to remember how to speak and cook. <laughs> but for them, it's like such a great cultural exchange because they too are so curious and actually pre-COVID wedding plans was that they were going to come to Toronto and they were going to do a whole Vietnamese ceremony and what was wild about that was that you have to bring a full roasted pig and uh, they never heard or seen something like that before and they said who carries this and they're like oh it takes about like four people to carry a whole pig you know roasted and stuff and you do a parade and they're like wait, there's a parade? And I was like, yeah, normally it's like seven days. The first day is like the ceremony of, for tea or that's traditional. And so they had nothing like this. And they jokingly said, oh, our vegan brother-in-law, my vegan brother-in-law can carry the, the pig. So I was like, uh, please don't do that. <laughs> and now it's vice versa in the sense that I am going through Christmas, or I'm already planning for Christmas, I'm looking at meals that they haven't had before, and doing research, cook, like trying to cook it once or twice to kind of have a feel for it. And then at the dinner table, they're, they just want to have that education and that food experience. And I'm like, okay, this is how you eat it. It's normally in a big bowl, but I put it into smaller soup bowls because Germans don't have the big pho bowls. And uh, you can add this item or this item. And then now we have a competition to see who eats the spiciest food because they're competitive. <laughs> Grace is such a beautiful way to end off this season. She is all about celebrating all the cultural influences of her life, no matter where she is, like we heard from Brooklyn and Zoe in episode one. The coming together of traditions and cultures in her wedding, like Asha in episode four and how it's all about food when celebrating, like we've heard from just about every single one of our guests this season. This fall, we're excited to introduce you to another set of incredible guests who are documenting their cultures and heritage. We will be spending the summer speaking to individuals who are doing just that. And if you liked Grace's introspective, fun, dig deeper approach to all things, we have a feeling that she will be back to talk about her experience in film production and documenting. Keep in touch this summer by subscribing to our newsletter at rootandseed.com, following us on social at rootandseedco. And if you're interested in being part of a smaller, more private community on culture, tradition, and heritage, send us a note to hello at rootandseed.com to get an invitation to our private Facebook group. Root and Seed is hosted by me, Anika Chabra, executive produced by Jen Sarah Pong Mandel, and edited by Camille Blais.